from the living room of a small apartment in Central West Virginia, it's time for the Bang Your Head Podcast. And here's your host, Jake Simmons. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into a brand new episode of the Bang Your Head podcast. Appreciate you tuning in as always. Don't forget to check us out, anchor.fm slash BYHpod, also on Facebook. Uh, Search for Bang Your Head podcast with Jake Zimmers. Find us there. Give us a like and uh, enjoy everything, man. I hope everybody is staying safe through these really, really weird times we find ourselves in. The show moves on, and uh, as I sit here on a dreary Sunday afternoon... Uh, super stoked to bring you this week's episode, a super awesome sit down with Mike Ventola. I first met Mike uh, about three years ago when I started my career up at Lafayette, and he is a play-by-play virtuoso. We're going to learn a little bit about his career from the time he started in college in New Jersey all the way to where he finds himself now doing uh, play-by-play commentary as well as being a media relations manager for the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, the AAA affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies. Super cool to learn about his backstory as well as a really great choice for a record. Kind of throwing it back to my younger days when my dad would kind of grow me up on the classic rock of the 60s and the 70s. So really, really looking forward uh, to, to you guys here in this interview. This is my sit-down with Mike Ventola. Enjoy. Rob Brantley swings and drives this one deep towards right field. Oh, Riverdale Rob Brantley. A home run well over the Bud Light trough in right field, taking Randall Delgado deep. Another installment of the Bang Your Head podcast. I'm super stoked to have my guest on today. You can hear him in the Lehigh Valley doing radio play-by-play for the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. You can see him on Patriot League TV for the two teams in the Lehigh Valley, Lafayette, and let's not talk about that other team. He does play-by-play for TV2 on Service Electric and also does play-by-play for the women's basketball team at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. Uh, he has his hats in a million and one different directions, and we're going to learn a little bit about him today. Mike Ventola. Mike, welcome to the Bang Your Head podcast. Thanks for, ha- thanks for hopping on, man. Absolutely. Looking forward to being part of it, my friend. And secondly, great title to this podcast. I got to give you a lot of credit, man. I love the name, and I'm excited for your listeners to continue to hear you talk about all the fun stuff that's been going on. I appreciate it. So the first question, as I always ask everybody, um, probably the deepest question you'll hear all day, uh, but... Who is Mike Ventola? Oh, geez, who am I? Well, you know what's funny? You gave all my credentials in regards to my career, but kind of letting people know a little bit about me. You know, I'm just recently turned 32, New Jersey born, Pennsylvania raised. I was nine years old uh, when my family, we moved out to Easton, PA from uh, Branchburg, New Jersey. So um, I tell people all the time that even though I'm probably pretty much Pennsylvania grown at this point, the New Jersey roots, they come out every now and then. If you haven't figured out already, very strong Italian American. So, you know, believe that it's gravy, not sauce. Family, friends, uh, all super very important. And, you know, I am the type of person that just loves to have a good time. I think that's why working in sports, I like to have fun. And, you know, big part of me is I want to entertain and want to make sure people have a good time. You know, last week I ended up interviewing uh, Josh Liddick. He's a sports information director at Lehigh. And um, he and I have a little bit of a connection. We went to college together at uh, Kutztown University. So 
uh, you know, some of the stuff I already knew about him, but but uh, you know, kind of asking you, you know, similar questions. I mean, obviously different different fields. He's more college, uh, and while you do stuff with college as well, you're also you also have your uh, your to- your foot in the uh, professional pool um, with what you do with the uh, with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs and the and the Phillies organization. Um, we look back to the beginning. When did um, when did sports first play um, like a, a major significant impact in your life? Jake, I think for me, it was when I was a little kid. Um, You know, I'm one of three. I have an older brother and a younger sister. My older brother was graced with the unbelievable talent of being able to take baseball to the college level. For me, I didn't get beyond Little League. I mean, that's how bad of a player I was when it came to to baseball. Uh, My dad grew up playing uh, baseball and football, played a little soccer. I think that's why my brother and I also played soccer growing up. Uh, My sister played soccer. Uh, my sister also played uh, softball as well. So for me, I knew at a young age, I knew I wanted to get involved in sports in some capacity. Um, the only sport I relatively play is golf. Luckily, my dad put a golf club in my hand at eight years old. It's been valuable. It's been a lot of fun. So, but I think for me, getting to do what I do, um, I kind of found out when I was a little bit older, when I was, you know, maybe around 10, 11, when I go to my dad one day, we were listening to Yankee games on the radio. And I said to my dad, I go, dad, what are these, what are these people talking about? And my dad goes, Mike, they're describing the game. You know, they're actually letting us know what's happening. And I, and I was pretty taken aback by it. And I kind of fell in love with, uh, you know, uh, John Sterling and Michael Kay and then John Sterling and Susan Waldman, the Yankees radio announcers. And I think that's kind of really enhanced my love of baseball and, and then growing up and going through high school and into college um, I tried to figure out ways to get involved. I went to a college, Jake. Uh, I went to Immaculata University that had no broadcasting. I didn't even know what it was when I walked in through the doors, but I fell in love with it uh, for other reasons. Um, the beauty of the campus. Um, I knew I had to you know, really work on the basics of my education. They were strong in English and communication. And I ended up learning a lot of my craft in other ways and being able to present myself well, speak, write, I thought I was a good writer in high school. I was a crappy writer in high school, man. I ended up, you know, really showing that I improved greatly when I was in college and it's benefited me well because most big time sportscasters will tell you in order to do what you do, you got to be able to speak well and you even got to be able to write well, have to be able to articulate what you want to do via uh, words on paper as well. So I think um, through all that education and then my experience as well too, Jay came through uh, internships throughout college. Um, uh, whether it was interning for a minor league baseball team in Georgia, interning for what used to be 94 WISP in Philadelphia. And then I worked for the athletic department doing a lot of public address announcing. And then they introduced um, online streaming when I was a junior in college. So I started dabbling in a play-by-play um, at that time. So uh, I am not a textbook, this is how you get to where I get situation. I'm a bit of an anomaly. And I like to tell people all the time, um, I'm probably the classic definition of an overachiever, and I take great pride in that. Uh, from from your your being raised in New Jersey for the first part of your life is that a New York New York sports fandom? I'm guessing Yankees, uh, Knicks, all those all those teams. Yeah, I'm actually not your traditional New York slash New Jersey sports fan, and it's funny because the New Jersey Devils are kind of penciled in, uh, you know, New York, which is oddly enough. Um, but I am a Devils fan. I'm a Yankees fan, Jets fan, and a Knicks fan. So. Yankees were mandatory in my house. Uh, Tony V, my old man, he was, there was no, you couldn't root for any other team, but other sports, it was fair game. My dad was a giant fan, um, you know, for, but he used to take me and my brother to the Jets games. I fell in love with the Jets. My brother was smart, did not. 
Um, and then the Knicks too. Uh, you know, my dad was a big Knicks fan growing up. Even though my brother worshipped the ground Michael Jordan wa uh, walked on. And for me, Scottie Pippen was my favorite NBA player. But I grew up, you know, rooting for the Knicks and really taking, you know, rooting for the Knicks as I even gotten older. So, but um, I really have a great appreciation for hockey. I love the New Jersey Devils. I used to have a, an eight-game ticket plan with them years ago. Uh, sadly, now with my work, it's been hard to do. So uh, um, that's that's kind of how I been able, been blessed to go to a lot of sporting events when I was a kid. I was going to say I was gonna, I was about to uh, do the whole. Oh, you're a Jets fan. Condolences for them because they're not. Uh, but now I, I've always I've always had a soft spot in my heart, um, soft spot in my heart for the Jets. So um, especially especially when they play those dastardly Patriots. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, agreed. Um, what was the um, the first like big sports moment where like you heard you heard the call and and it and it made. Um, it made like a huge indelible impact on you. Ooh, um, it's a good question. I think for me, and I have to go in the moment as a, a sports fan. You know what it was? Um, I think it was. And I know he's not the most popular guy in the world. And as much as I could really pinpoint great Yankee calls I heard on the radio and the TV, but believe it or not, one that really stuck in my mind as a as a baseball fan was Joe Buck believe it or not, in the World Series. And I know he's not a fan favorite uh, amongst many uh, sports fans nowadays. But Joe Buck, I thought, delivered a great call. It was in one of the World Series. It was either in, I think it was either in 98 or, believe it or not, even in 2000, when he just said, you know, in perfect jubilation, and the Yankees are back on top. And it was just kind of the way he said it. And I really sat there, I go, man, he captured that moment perfectly, talking about how that dynasty was growing up in the late night, how it was coming together in the late 90s. And I really thought it captured it well, too. I know it wasn't his best call, but it was certainly a call that stuck uh, within me and and then also to um, some of the other, you know, calls that, you know, guys like him have been able to make. But, um, yeah, I think it was just maybe watching the – you know, the Yankees on the national spotlight and it was Joe Buck calling the world series when we were, you know, growing up and even still now. So yeah, got to tip my cap to old Joe. Uh, you mentioned your, your college start, Immaculata university. When you, when you got there, did you, I mean, you, you said the live streaming start, I believe you said it didn't start until your junior year. Um, yeah. My junior year. Yep. Um, so, so when they started that, was that kind of like, you know, it's like the like the the big shining moment, right? The sun shines from above you, and you're like, "Oh, well, I can I can now hop into this crazy opportunity and, and try to make that name for yourself." Was was it a moment kind of like that? It really was, Jake. Because you know, it's funny, like, um, and I, you know, and I had other reasons uh, that why I went to Immaculata University, and uh, um, you know, I could certainly share those, but you know, I know that it kind of really digs in deeper. But for me, when I when I went to college there. I remember going to the athletic department. It was more of my freshman year. And I went to the athletic director and I went to the sports information director at the time and said, look, you know, this is what I want to do. What can I do to get involved? And that's when they said, look, Mike, you know, uh, they, they actually started threw me right into the fire in spring sports. Uh, my freshman year said, look, we're gonna, you know, we don't have play by play, but we can maybe have you. Our public address announcer always looking for somebody and um, you can introduce the starting lineups, introduce, you know, say when goals are scored and, and it was kind of their way of saying, this is how we're going to get this kid um, to be comfortable in the microphone. And because there weren't, we didn't have a lot of fans. We were a small division three 
uh, college still is a very small division three school. And, you know, if I made a mistake, nobody beat me up on it. And that was kind of the cool thing about it. So, um, and then going into my sophomore year, then started doing basketball PA, getting more and more comfortable. Um, our men's team winning the conference championship at our home court. It was a huge deal. And then once they introduced the streaming, uh, my sports information director, my athletic director, they knew I wanted to get involved. So they took me off PA. They ended up uh, getting somebody else. Or with the, There were times when they actually had me like introduce the starting lineups and then go upstairs and actually do the play-by-play. -play. It was kind of really neat. Um, and then just kind of find my own way, Jake. And I did it for basketball and I'm doing for field hockey, lacrosse, mm -hmm. soccer, um, you know, and it was hard. It was challenging. I hadn't, I literally learned on my own um, because I, nobody really mentoring me like, Mike, this is what you need to do to be better. I mean, my sports information director, he tried Tom McMurray. I have to give him a big shout out because he was, you know, he tried his best and, you know, I owe him a lot of gratitude, but, I didn't really have that true broadcast coach probably in those formative years and I needed to. And that's why I think maybe it took me a little bit longer to develop those skills that most big time broadcasters learn when they're 18 to 22, they go to the, they go to Syracuse or go to some other big time school where they have the professors and, and teachers there to teach these you know kids as they're growing. Was it a big wake up call going from behind the, the, the PA desk to doing play by play? It was a huge wake up call. And you know, what's funny um, I think larger part is because, and as you know, Jake, look for, especially when you, you, you get to hear me, you know, because of what you get to do at Lafayette, um, working together, you and I, and it's just constantly making sure that the announcer is got to be prepared. And if you have, I don't care how great you sound. If you have the voice of God, I don't care. You have to be able to be prepared and know what you're talking about, because that can even make up for some of the lack of voice skills that you have. And I think for me, Early on, I used to just show up and just go for it. Just look at, you know, look at the little stats and whatnot and just riff. But those mistakes um, helped me get better because I started to learn. I started paying more attention to broadcasters on TV and what are they doing and I'm listening on the radio. And when I was in college, um, Phillies games were on TV. That's where I got to know Harry Callis a lot. I watched a lot of Phillies games. Uh, I adored Harry and Harry was phenomenal. So I think that's where, too, I kind of started to you know, pick up things. But like you said, it was a huge wake up call for me. And I used to, I, part of me was thinking, man, maybe I should just go back to the PA and, and just do that. Cause it's easier, you know, even though you get over the, the, the nerves of introducing the starting lineup, make sure you don't make a mistake. But outside of that, it was cake. And that's when a basket scored or a goal scored or a substitution. And it was easy as pie. I, I had a, I had a brief flashback to even earlier this, this academic year, obviously before the world decided to end. Um, but, um, you know, myself, I work at a small D2 school here in West Virginia and, and because of it being, it, it's kind of a, a cool and unique kind of double-edged sword in like, at like the D3, the D2 and the D3 levels, because it gives you an opportunity to, uh, to kind of work and do multiple things at once. What's on one thing is, is, is the blessing in a sense that, you know, oh, it's, 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 cool to be all round, like well-rounded and to have that experience. But at the same time too, like what you mentioned about doing PA announcing and then immediately running upstairs to do play-by-play -play commentary. I've, I've had to do that myself, whether, cause I've, I've dabbled in, in play-by-play -play a little bit in my time here. Um, primarily I'm behind the computer directing, uh, thanks to my idol, John Sabino. Um, but, um, but I've had the, I've had the, the similar things too, you know, it was like, I've, 
our PA announcer couldn't be there. And they're like, Jake, can you do PA? I said, okay. And it was like, run out from my office, announce the starting lineups for both teams, set, you know, mute the mic, set it down, and then run back into my office to, to, uh, to direct a live stream. So I, I, yeah, that's again, double-edged sword. It's crazy. Um, when you started doing play-by-play, was there a sport that came easy to you and a sport that was difficult or was it all kind of the same because you were kind of learning it on the fly? You know, that's a good question. Um, it's, if this makes sense, and I'm sure for your listeners, they may be like, eh, Mike, this may not make sense, but it was a combination of both um, because I think where it got easy for me because I had such a, um, where some sports were easier, I had such a drive and a desire, especially to a, when I was doing basketball, like, okay, most people watch basketball, understand the sport, but where the challenge was, and and I think because I did it in college, it's the reason why um, Lafayette College and the other college, not to be named out of respect for you and I, they actually have me do most of the games is field hockey. Like when I was starting to do sports like field hockey, um, men's and women's lacrosse, uh, because when I was in college, when lacrosse was really kind of starting to grow and starting to now, where now it's kind of a national um you know, it's very well recognized and respected. ESPN does a great job always broadcasting the final four. Um, you know, so for me doing those sports, which I had no idea on anything, didn't know. I was like, I got to figure this crap out. And um, it was scary. Um, luckily too, I was friends because it was such a small college. I was friends with players on the field hockey team, the men's women's lacrosse team. Um, those sports specifically, I would talk to the coaches, talk to the players like, look, just, I need little nuggets. What's some terminology that I could use. And the, the girls, I tell you, the girls on the field hockey team were great because they were just like, they were so excited to have someone, you know, help publicizing their sport and same with the lacrosse teams. And, you know, they were great sources. They were great resources for me. Um, but like I said, basketball came pretty easy for me. Softball, even though baseball didn't come to my college until my senior year and the stadium wasn't ready. So they had to go play all road games. I didn't call a single baseball game in college. Um, I got to call a little bit of softball, which was cool. So, and the softball players were great. So, um, I think that's where I had a chance to make up for, and it's my advice to anybody that's listening that whether it's in announcing or for what you do in directing a production, if you don't know, um, utilize your resources where there are, talk to people, at least have them give you pointers to direct you where they need, you know, where you feel like you're lacking direction. Cause that can, that goes along with the preparation I talked about a little bit ago. That's where you can make up for um, you know, falling short in some other areas. Describe for me the, the journey from when you graduated school. Um, and I realize this is, this is taking up a lot of, a lot of years, but from, from when you graduated, uh, to your involvement in the Philadelphia Phillies organization, because obviously what you do now with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, and even back to what you previously did in Reading, um, you know, I think it's, that's, it's a unique, I mean, to me at least, you know, a unique opportunity for you in the sense that, you know, it, it's kind of getting started in the minor league system is kind of similar to that D2, D3 experience because it gets you a chance to start out um, at a young at a young age, especially for our field, um, but to, to still at the same time get you get you that experience. So so t- take me back to to when you graduated from school um, and, and how and how you did end up getting involved um, in, in the Phillies organization. I tell you, Jake, it's, it's such a long, it's, it was a long journey because when I, you know, because for me, because I didn't have the, the teaching, like I said, in college, I had to do internships. So when I graduated college back in 2010, 
I got I had gotten a not even really it wasn't really a legitimate internship. It was a game day internship with the Reading Phillies, with the Reading Fighting Phils. Um, Tommy Viola was a manager of media relations. He's now the vice president of communications for the Charlotte Knights, uh, the White Sox AAA team down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I had emailed him out of a whim, and he said, "Look, Mike, I have a full time intern, but I'd love to take you on work game days, put you in the press box." Um, you know, maybe you could do some interviews, maybe shadow a little bit with our radio announcer. And that's, and, and in a lot of ways, that was a, that was my second chance of really things kicking back and getting started. In 09, when I got my first ever internship, when I was going into my senior year, that summer of junior and senior year, the Augusta Green Jackets, that's where my initiation in baseball was when I spent a, a summer in Augusta, Georgia, lived with people. I had no idea, you know, I didn't know who they were. I knew their kids. Didn't, you know, their parents, I lived with, had no idea who they were until I showed up that day, driving down from Easton to Augusta, Georgia. Um, and that's when I fell in love with, you know, wanting to get a career in professional baseball. So after those two years, um, the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs hired me in 2011 um, as their studio host. So I hosted their pre-game shows, their post-game shows, and it allowed me to really, you know, baptism by fire, essentially, and getting comfortable um, on the radio. And then... Um, after that, I ended up moving out to Illinois for two years, um, working for a independent, working for an independent minor league team in Southern Illinois. They're li literally based in Marion, Illinois, which is about 15, 20 minutes uh, east of uh, Carbondale, um, where the University of Southern Illinois is located. Um, and that's where I got my first lead job as a play-by-play -play guy um, and a media and a uh, public relations director. So um, two years um, doing play-by-play -play there, 2012, 2013. And then uh, the the, uh, the Reading Fighting Phils were looking for a radio announcer in 2014. They hired me. I was with them for five years. Um, and then going into 27, going into 2017, that's when they made the they combined my radio position with the PR position, made me full time. And then the Iron Pigs hired me going into uh, last year. So um, I mean, there was a lot more to the story, but just to kind of for the sake of this interview, so I don't bore your listeners um that's kind of the uh, tip of the iceberg of how i left college to where i'm now with the uh lehigh valley iron pigs and apart from uh from the iron pigs uh you as i mentioned in the intro you know you're doing uh women's basketball stuff for the new jersey institute of technology uh of course your your work with uh lafayette and the school that shall not be named and uh you're, you got got your got your your feet in a bunch of different pools um I guess I guess where I'm going with that is you know, what was it was it the 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 name you were starting to make for yourself that that got your involvement with uh, with those other schools? Yes, um, and not because of me specifically, but the network, I, the people I got to know. Um, there are, you know, look at the end of the day, you have to be talented in order to get jobs. I mean, there's no question about it. You have to be the most talented, you know, at least in the employer's eyes, the best person for that job. But you, to me, no matter what you do, Jake, or what I do, you got to have a network of people. You need people to go to bat for you. And I'm not where I'm at today. And I can say that as eloquently as I part, can, can possibly say. I'm not where I'm at if, not, if it's not for the network of people I've gotten to know. Um, my predecessor, Matt Province, um, great guy, was, with, was the original voice of the Iron Pigs, original PR guy. Um, you know, him and his partner, John Schaefer, because they worked together for so many years with the Iron Pigs, they took a shot on me in 2011, and because of their work doing stuff for Lafayette and Lehigh and with TV2, those two really helped integrate me into getting contacts with Lafayette College and, of course, even with 
the other school that shall not be named Lehigh, but I have to say it for the sake of this uh, conversation, they introduced me to people. Um, and then also to TV2 Sports Zone, Steve Degler. Um, I got to know him when I was with the Reading Fighting Phils, a really good guy, um, and really helped me get that job in Southern Illinois and then helped me get the job in Reading because his best friend was the VP of uh, the team out in Illinois. He got me in the door. I had to, you know, interview, and but he at least helped open the door for me and even helped open the door for me with Reading because he was the longest tenured radio announcer for Reading from 1992 through 2008. So um, that's how I got integrated with a lot of these other entities. And Matt Providence, who I was telling you about, he has been a longtime voice of New Jersey Institute men's basketball. And it got to a point where he was doing both the men and the women. They had just basic internet streaming. He was doing both. There were a couple of times when I was going to be, when I was a studio host, when actually that fall leading into that uh, baseball season, Jake, he needed a fill-in to do a couple women's games. I got it. I, you know, he said, Mike, why don't you just do them? It'll be a great opportunity for you. And that led me to now being not nine years with NJIT because once men started to travel and they took Matt on the road, Matt couldn't do both. So we took the men's game. And I since literally the two that since late 2011 going to 2012, I've been the women's announcer going from their internet streaming to now their games all being broadcast on ESPN plus. So um, sometimes people hear the old phrase. It's not what you know, it's who, you know, in this situation, it's perfect. It's not what you know, it's who, you know. Um, okay. I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this question. So you mentioned earlier the, the impact that that Joe Buck call had on your, had on your life. Um, so I kind of a twofold here, you know, of the games that you, that you've called, what's been the the one call, the one game, the one moment um, that stands out to you and defines your career to this point? And and picking off of that, was it that that Joe Buck call that you would say is is you know the greatest call you've heard to this to this point? That that you know you said it left an indelible mark, but was there maybe a moment from from a football game or hockey or basketball or or major league lacrosse who knows but was there was there was there that other like call that like you heard you heard them make the call and you it's like you took like mental notes and you were like oh I add a little bit to that then and I can I can improve my game a little bit well I think um there are some geez there are so many um if I had to look and and as I said earlier too like that even call by Joe Buck is not even the greatest call I heard from him but it was in that moment that like you said that kind of initiated me into um, really wanting to become uh, a broadcaster. But I think, too, when I hear some other sports, and not so much just baseball, but even like football and hockey, um, I have to, believe it or not, a call that really resonates with me is you have to go back to the Masters. And when Tiger Woods on the famous 16th hole, on yep. the par three, and Vern Lundquist, Old Uncle Vern, and I love Uncle Vern, okay? And I think he is the epitome of college football and, you know, and basketball when calling games for CBS. But when Tiger gets his ball on and it trickles towards the hole and it just sits on the lip and then it dips in and he goes, yes, sir. And I just, that moment I was like, wow, this is what I want to do because you saw the roar of the crowd of Augusta. And you saw his jubilation, knew he was going to win the Masters. Like, at that point, nobody was stopping Tiger. And I thought Vern 
And he loved, and that was his spot, the perch on that famous par three. And that to me was just embodied everything I loved about sports casting um, in that moment. Now I can tell you calls from years ago when I wasn't even a thought that I loved. I think Vin Scully's um, Bill Buckner play of the 1986 World Series is his best call. And I think it's a call that to me is in uh, one of the greatest of all time, um, you know, but yeah, that call to me, uh, like I said, for Vern really sets in, but also I think a call that defines my career, um, you know, I guess more so from a public standpoint, I think I have to go back to the um, 2016 Reading Fight and Phil season, even though the R Phil's the year before in 2015, we were one game we were to the final game of the championship series against the Bowie Bay Sox. And I called, you know, the, you know, the final calls of the playoff clincher, um, getting the chance to um, win the division. And those were all great moments. But I think in 2016, because of the, the one player that's now is who he is today, the home run battle between Reese Hoskins and Dylan Cousins. I think if you were to go back to any of my home run calls, um, I think that's when my home run call, Arriva Derchi started taking into play. It became a, a fan favorite in Reading, even out after one year, Iron Pigs fans, a couple of them, you know, they're like, you know, they're like, ah, Mike, that Arrivederci home run call is pretty cool. So I think that home run call was really taken up because of Reese and Dylan um, combining for 78 home runs between the two of them. Dylan setting the record with 40, uh, Reese with 38 that year. So I think just any, you can literally look at that whole season and that home run call is what de defines me selfishly even though not many people know about it. Uh, the only championship I ever called when I was with the uh, team out in Illinois, my first year when we won the league championship, um, that was, that's my favorite. But like I said, it's not very well known just because of where I was at at the time. Let's talk about right now. Obviously we in the world find ourselves in ourselves in, in a crazy situation. I know a lot of, uh, a lot of fans, a lot of people are, are craving sports because for such a long time, um, despite the, 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 you know, po political disagreements or world disagreements, what have you, sports always served as an escape that no matter what was going on in the world for a few hours, uh, people could come together and rejoice over their favorite team. And because of the situation everybody finds themselves in right now, sports aren't a thing right now. Um, you yourself would have, would have found yourself covering uh, Iron Pigs games. Um, what, you know, first of all, how, how strange is it for you right now working in an organization? And second of all, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you and, and the team at the, at the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs are doing to, um, kind of keep busy and to still put out content and to still, um, you know, and still keep the fans engaged? Well, luckily too, with me, not only just doing broadcast, but being the media relations manager for the team, I get the opportunity to really um, get active on social media. Um, our office in some ways is broken up into certain departments. I fall under the umbrella of the marketing department. So what are we doing to put our name out there? What are we doing to entertain? What are we doing to really sell our the Iron Pig brand out to fans, not only in our region, but neighboring regions as well? So. Um, what I've been doing, Jake, has been able to really um, dig deep down into my skill set. What can I do to be creative? We've done, um, we've got, we've done, as an organization, we've jumped into virtual gaming. Uh, we've done a lot with uh, Twitch, 
with uh, live streaming uh, MLB The Show games because of now the introduced minor league teams. We've been able to, um, you know, have the Iron Pigs playing, the El Paso Chihuahuas, the Rochester Red Wings, you know, and other teams, other minor league teams across the country. Um, starting on Monday the 27th, you know, today as we're, you and I record this, we're doing an esports competition with the United States Army where Call of Duty Warzone will be played on the 27th. Wednesday the 29th, it'll be Fortnite. And then the pinnacle game of the series will be MLB The Show between the Iron Pigs playing as the Philadelphia Phillies against the Washington Nationals and the U.S. Army will be the Washington Nationals. So um, I'm not as heavily involved with that esports competition, but I was very involved with a lot of the other stuff we've been doing prior with the MLB The Show games me putting on a headset, actually calling play-by-play uh, for virtual baseball. Um, so we really even then put virtual baseball on, on, our, on 69 News and Service Electric. We did two games for our fans to do on our actual opening day, April 17th, and then the following day, uh, Saturday, April 18th. Our fans loved it. We got a lot of uh, live stream clicks. Uh, we donate, We raised money for um, the COVID-19 situation. So, um, and that's one thing we're trying to do too, Jake, is being advocates for our partners, uh, doing anything we can to be supportive because that's what we can do. And I think that's been the hardest point. Like you said, normally baseball, especially baseball, has been the true escape for fans during our toughest moments in our country. And I know football and basketball and hockey have been able to provide escapes as well. Um, I can still remember after 9-11 um, what football provided, but I can also too remember, uh, I still tell people all the time, the 2001 World Series is, by, in my opinion, the best World Series I ever watched. Because even though the Arizona Diamondbacks, and I was a kid, you know, at the kid time, beat my Yankees in seven games, but those three games at Yankee Stadium and the way the Yankees won those games couldn't be duplicated, couldn't be replaced and lifted not only a city, but a nation at its time. And, you know, and like you said, not trying to get political, but even when you have President George W. Bush on game three, give a thumbs up on the pitcher's mound at Yankee Stadium, showing the rest of the world we will not be beaten. Um, that to me is what sports has been able to do. And we haven't been able to do that, but we're finding ways to be uplifting and be supportive for our community. Um, and even for me, just trying to reach out, be an advocate for people. Um, I talk to a lot of people in my industry, uh, being full, you know, I, I've, I have friends of mine um, that have been laid off, uh, that have um, been furloughed. You know, we all have family and friends that have either been battling, you know, have battled this disease, have lost their life from this disease, uh, lost their jobs, being furloughed. Like I said, everybody knows at least one person in every category. So for me, individually, and this is just my own representation, even though I say it with an Iron Pigs logo, this has nothing to do with the pigs, but I myself, I'm just trying to operate with a little bit more grace and trying to be a little bit more appreciative because I've been healthy, very blessed, and been just trying to, just because of my situation, being young, healthy, not sick, trying to be more proactive in the front lines where I can. So um, that's what, at least what I've been trying to do. And the pigs have been awesome because they, since all this began back in March, we said, what can we do? And I think that's why I've had so much enthusiasm is because for work-wise, people are saying, what are you doing? Jake or Astrid, like, what are you doing? Uh, we're, we're, we're providing entertainment where we can. We're, you know, and it's been great. We're some 
businesses have obviously have had to shut down for some reasons. We haven't, you know, even though we don't have baseball, but we've been finding other ways to, um, you know, provide people an escape. Before we get into the album review, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of, of, of talking to you without mentioning, you mentioned uh, your, your love for the New York Jets. And uh, at, the t- at the time we are recording this, uh, we are a few days out from the NFL draft, an, an event that really, in many weird ways, brought the nation together. I think I saw the ratings for night one, um, and they said it was, I think it was upwards of 16 million people watched that virtual virtual draft I, I was watching it on a zoom call with with my friends from college and it was it was an amazing experience for sure but um to cycle back to your new york jets um you know i i have my own feelings about the philadelphia eagles draft um the second round pick among them um but uh, i wanted to get your thoughts on how you thought uh that the uh, that the jets did as a team in the draft well, I'm sure for most of your listeners, just because of where you hail from, and it's great too, you're like, not only me representing the Iron Pigs, but as you and I visually, I'm seeing you have a Kutztown University shirt, which is awesome. So um, the Eagles and the Jets, they're, they're kind of tied together because of one guy. And as you can say, as a Jet fan, thank you so much for Joe Douglas, because Joe Douglas drafted, in my opinion, extremely well. You know, I thought he, um, from Mekhi Becton, an offensive tackle desperately needed, though I didn't. I could sit here and say, okay, which offensive tackle was better than the other? I just wanted that taken care of at that first pick. Um, you know, even depth it in some certain areas defensively, I thought Joe really hit hit on. But to me, what really sold me over on him was he had a pick in the second round. He was set and ready to take, um, it, it, potentially worth saying, all right, second round, he's going to take a wide receiver. Then he trades back. 11 spots and me and my friends were texting me my fellow jet fan friends were like oh my goodness what's he doing and my one buddy who's been a jet fan probably even a little bit longer than i have goes he may may, may he may not be in love with someone right now or maybe looking to find get just get a little bit more depth accumulate more picks i'm like fair point i like this and then he still gets the same receiver that he talked about post that he wanted originally 11 picks prior he takes the same wide receiver, he takes Mims from Baylor, and he accumulates another pick. Like, to me, it was just so nice and refreshing to see a general manager kind of know what he was doing because the Jets have had a horrible history with, uh, with the draft. But now he got, the, in my opinion, he got some good groceries. Now it's going to be up to the coaching staff to coach them right, and hopefully if and when they take the field sometime this summer for training camp or whatever, that they start to show that these guys were good picks. Um, I was very happy overall, just to make a long story short. And I know for Eagle fans, they're, uh, they're frustrated right now. Um, but I, at the end of the day, I'll remind you, Eagle fans, you still have a Super Bowl. You have a Super Bowl ring in recent times. My dad likes to tell me he was a little kid when he saw Joe Namath and the Jets beat the Baltimore Colts back in Super Bowl three. My dad's 61 now, okay? Just to put things in perspective. So at least Eagle fans got a chance to witness them beat not only the Patriots, but Tom Brady and the Patriots a couple years ago. And I can say I was proudly rooting for the Eagles in that Super Bowl. I love Philly special as much as Eagle fans because I can't stand the Pats. So I was real happy for the Eagles when they won a couple years ago. All right. Well, let's get into the album. I remember reaching out to you initially. Uh, and, and, you know, we were going back and forth for a little bit and 
And I was pleasantly surprised, you know, growing up uh, with a father who, who grew me up on this style of music. Um, tell the people the album you gave me why you decided to go that route. Well, the album I chose, and it was not easy because I'm a diehard Billy Joel fan. You know, even though, like I said, I'm recently turned 32 and you think of all the modern and, you know, all the different types of music. Billy Joel's my favorite. I absolutely adore him. So when I went with Turnstiles, even though it probably was not his most memorable, I mean, at least his most popular album, it was a very successful album. It produced songs such as New York State of Mind, Miami 2016. Uh, Miami 2017, which is also known as Seeing the Lights Go Out on Broadway. Um, you know, those were some really good popular songs. And I think the reason why I liked it so much was, and it kind of in a way relates to what's kind of going on right now. He recorded Turnstiles because he had been living out in California and allowed him to return to his base in New York City. That Turnstiles eventually his journey back to New York from California. And that's why he also wrote the one song, Say Goodbye to Hollywood, which was a, um, he created that song because of the Ronettes, Be My Baby, the beginning of the song. If you hear the original of Be My Baby, the dun, 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 shh. same thing with Say Goodbye to Hollywood. So, and like I said, in a way, it kind of ties it back to what's going on today, even though um, they're not, you know, he doesn't talk about a virus at all or a pandemic at all, but I think all of us having to get back to our basics, having to be stuck at home, appreciate family, appreciate our friends, you know, take chance of really working on ourselves as human beings. And I think that was why I picked Turnstiles so much because Billy at that point in his career realized, okay, he had seen the lights and all the fun out in California, but he knew he had to get back to, to the basics. He had to get back home. And I think that's why I picked uh, Turnstiles plus two, some of my favorite Joel songs. I mentioned them already. Um, you know, um, and then also too, uh, you know, some not as popular songs. Like I really like, uh, all you want to do is dance. It's not a, one of his more popular songs, but it's a nice, good upbeat song. Um, and then, all, and I, and the prelude in the angry young man is one of his more popular songs. I just love the intro. So felt gave, if anything would give you an excuse to listen to something I really appreciate. All right. So before you hear Mike and I talk about this record, uh, you know, I was, I was, I didn't know much about the album too, but I did some research and I think you should hear my research. So, uh, check this out. Turnstiles is the fourth studio album released by New York singer-songwriter Billy Joel. The album was released on May 19th, 1976 on Family Productions and Columbia Records. Prior to Turnstiles, Joel released three studio albums. 1971's Cold Spring Harbor, producing songs such as She's Got Away and Everybody Loves You Now. His classic sophomore effort, 1973's Piano Man, featuring classics such as the title track and the ballad of Billy the Kid, and 1974's Street Life Serenade, featuring the single The Entertainer. Turnstiles produced two singles, Say Goodbye to Hollywood, which gained further fame after a live version was released on the 1981 live album Songs in the Attic, and James, which was also released in 1976. Other popular songs from this album include New York State of Mind, Prelude, Angry Young Man, and Miami 2017, Seen the Lights Go Out on Broadway. Since Turnstiles, Joel has released several albums with songs that remain classic rock stalwarts. Those songs include Movin' Out Anthony Song, Just the Way You Are, and Only the Good Die Young from 1977's The Stranger, Allentown from 1982's The Nylon Curtain, Uptown Girl and The Longest Time from 1983's An Innocent Man, 
and We Didn't Start the Fire from 1989's Stormfront. His last album of original material was 1993's River of Dreams, and his last studio album was 2001's classical album Fantasies and Delusions. He continues to be a concert icon, regularly selling out concerts at major arenas and football and baseball stadiums across the country. All right, so the album begins with the track uh, "Say Goodbye to Hollywood." I really, really uh, enjoyed. You know, as 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 I'm listening to to this album, um, you know, I have it going through Spotify, and really wanted to read in depth on um, the lyrics on on all of these songs. Kind of, you know, reading the um, you know what what he was really singing about as um, as he's performing the song. I really, really enjoyed. Uh, the, the lyrics and the first first couple tracks on this uh, on this uh, on this album, especially this song "Say Goodbye to Hollywood." I love hearing the strings in in Billy Joel's music. I'm also very very partial to saxophone, having played it growing up. So um, anytime a jazzy saxophone feel is introduced in is uh, in his music and using and classic rock in general, I love it. And I, I wrote here in my notes, you know, I, I kind of questioned if this song was ever a TV show theme because when I'm listening to it, I get like, I sort of envision like movies or musicals like happening in my head as I'm listening to a record. And I sort of got that vibe that like, Oh, some of the classic all time classic sitcoms of the seventies or eighties, I could have heard this song as the theme song for. So, you know, you know, it's funny how you mentioned it could be like a, a TV theme show song in some ways it is, I think just because of how upbeat it is, you know, but like I talked to, about before, you know, I think, him and Billy too was even though he was a good singer and he was an outstanding piano player his true passion when it came to music was songwriting and you know he wrote all his songs he did everything you know he had some you know help here and there or he whoever he was doing a song with or some of his other band members would you know help out here and there but he pretty much wrote everything and and developed all the uh, melodies and things of that on his own so when when i looked at say goodbye to hollywood um you know like i said earlier the reason why he you know turnstiles for his album you know being uh, saying goodbye to california going back to new york it was kind of like uh, in some way his like theme song of like all right i'm leaving this is my theme song of why i'm leaving Los Angeles and you know why I'm leaving California and I think that's where it ties into your TV theme show uh type type comparison so and I liked it was upbeat you know he was because he's excited to get back to New York um and I think uh you know but also paying homage to a place that helped him get his career going as well too uh because you know he, he had started in New York moved out to California had success there but realized I'm gonna get back east and get back home we move on to the song Summer Highland Falls. I love when bands and artists uh, do it where they, they smoothly transition. There's no break in the action. So you heard the, the drum fade out and say goodbye to Hollywood, and it moves smoothly into Summer Highland Falls. When I was listening to this song, um, you know, again, having having grown up on, on a lot of, of like 70s, 80s, and even early 90s rock, um, you know, I, I, the piano a little bit. I was I got reminded of the song "Right Now" um, from Van Halen when I when I was listening to this, and, and I, I wrote in my notes. You know, it was would, was Van, <laughs> was it possible that Van Halen was inspired by Billy Joel? Because those are two typically two artists you don't um, you don't put together. But um, I loved I loved the groove 
on this song, the one part kind of iffy for me, there, there was a section where what I, what I like is that in every song he sort of introduces instruments that not only you typically wouldn't hear on, on a band and like from a, from a, from an album in a, like a solo section, typically you would hear like a guitar solo. Um, but he's introducing saxophone and he's introducing keys and he's introducing horns. There was a horn section in there that was, was kind of weird for me personally, but, but the song was still really, really good. It had one of my favorite lyrics. And then this is why like, I like to have it open as I was, as I was reading it. Um, the very first, um, set, set of words he says, uh, I really, really love the line where he says, and I believe there's a time for meditation in cathedrals of our own. Um, yeah. When he said that, I, I loved, I fell in love with that line. I thought, I thought that was, that was really well written. Well, it was funny because in the reason why too, this is another reason why I picked this uh, album was because when I'm going to go see Billy Joel um, a couple of years ago, I took my mom, my dad, and my sister, we went down in Philadelphia. And um, when he performs at ballparks, he does something called the fielder's choice. Um, and it was a choice And this song was a choice, between. it was between this song and just the way you are. And just the way you are is a very famous song by him, popular. And my, my mom and dad were more on the, just the way you are side. But for me, I was like summer Highland falls and they looked at me and they're like, okay. And I started singing it and they're, and they were like, surprised you knew the lyrics. They knew it, but they're like surprised you knew the lyrics to the song. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think the first, uh, few lyrics of the song are the best part you know they say that these are not the best of times but they're the only times i've ever known and i believe there's a time for meditation in cathedrals of our own like i think it's just the way he plays the piano hooks you in and then like you said the different instruments that are you know introduced throughout the song i think that's i think i probably fell in love with the song more with the instruments though i do like the theme of the song because it's an appreciation of new york you know it's a, it's a it's a love song, not a love song, but it's a, it's an appreciation of to, you know, his home, his home state, but realizing too, that, you know, when even in line, even in the second verse, when he goes, and I can only stand apart and sympathize for we always, for always what our situations hands us is either sadness or euphoria. So he's talking about all those different types of feelings right now. And I, I think that kind of is what brought me in. Cause I think at some point, one or another, Jake, we all have those different types of feelings. From there, we move on to All You Want to Do is Dance. A bit of a different song, a little bit of a reggae switch up in there. I thought, thought it was awesome. Um, I thought it was unique there. It, it was a song that sounded very, very upbeat, very, very happy. But looking into the looking into the lyric, you know, he's talking about essentially, you know, not wanting to move forward and, and really only wanting to, to, to live in the past, live in the memories, uh, of the fun times you had. And I thought, I thought it was, it was really, really cool kind of, you know, flipping it on its head, the typical where it's like, Oh, happy songs for happy times, sad songs for sad times. But this is like, Oh, a happy song for a sad time. What? But it, it he made it work. No, he did. I like the, um, I liked how the music was implemented with, uh, with the song. Um, I think your theme kind of captures it perfectly. Like I said earlier, it is a good song. It was one of those, it's a song that I think what helps make the album and what made the album a complete, uh, complete success. Um, it's probably in the middle of the pack on this album of which of where I would rate the songs, but um, it was good. Um, sadly, I've never, I have not seen him perform this song live. I mean, it's on my spot. It's on my music list. It's my, on my Spotify. It's a song that he doesn't, um, talk a lot about you never see him really perform it a lot i think it's one of those songs that i think kind of like what you said it's um 
it's that theme of where, you know, wouldn't really fit a concert per se, you know, maybe it's just, you know, for folks that are going through some interesting times, even though like, okay, you're going through a tough time right now, but here's some upbeat music to kind of help you pull through what's going on in your life right now. We move on to the closer of side one. If we were dealing with a vinyl here, uh, New York state of mind, the piano intro, beautiful. I loved it. It's obviously a love letter to, to the area that he calls home. Uh, again, I'll, I'll go back and I'll, I'll scream it from the rooftops that anytime a saxophone is is in any sort of rock song, it's incredible and I love it. And I was a big fan of the big outro. It was really, really bombastic, but I loved it, how how big and epic um, Billy Joel made it sound. Oh, I agree. And, you know, I think what I liked about this song too is because it really pinpoints um, significant areas of New York and especially New York City. You know, he goes taking a Greyhound bus on the Hudson River line. Like, and, and for me, who's been to New York a bunch of times, like I'm picturing it. And I think that's why I appreciate the song so much is because there are so many things that he brings up in the song that he, even if you're not a native New Yorker, like I'm not, you know, like I said, I lived, you know, lived in Northern New Jersey, have family in Northern New Jersey, but been in New York a bunch of times. And even if you've been a constant visitor of New York, you understand with what Billy Joel's talking about. And like I said earlier, um, you know, his song Say Goodbye to Hollywood was kind of like that theme song of going back to New York, like excited. He's actually now in the process of going like, okay, that was Say Goodbye to Hollywood was more of like, okay, goodbye, goodbye. I'm excited for New York, but more of a goodbye to California. This is now, okay, this is what I've missed about New York. And this is what I'm excited now to get back and go be a part of again. Side two opens up with the song James. And this song, I thought, you know, when you hear a ballad, I think you're used to hearing the 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 singer talking about like a loved one or, you know, like a like a girlfriend that, that they they had this this great love or they were, they had this unrequited love and then it's kind of about how it fell apart. But what I enjoyed about this, at least kind of what I took from it, was that he was discussing like just a friendship and like a lost yep. friendship and and I you know again really really interesting take um I loved it's just it's just it's just lovely on the ears a nice little smooth jazz soft rock song you know I was I was kind of envisioning and it's not a knock on the song at all but like if you were at like a beachside bar like this would be a song you would hear over the speakers as you're as you're sitting back with your friends or family uh, just kind of just kind of taking it easy. I really, really, really unique take on a uh, on a song here. No, I agree, and you know, I think I probably uh, this is the one song where I listened to it. It's okay. It wasn't. It's not one of my favorites. Um, I think you know, in some ways too, and I know some Billy Joel like die, true diehards were like saying that even though Jane, even though he's talking about a friend, but in some ways he's kind of talking about himself. Even though that you know, especially where it says you know, I went on the road. You pursued an education. James, do you like your life? I think even though he talks about a friend, I think there was some examples in there where he's even kind of, even though he may be referencing a friend, he's kind of talking about himself. Can you find release? Will you ever change? Will you ever write your masterpiece? And I think that's one thing too, because Billy being a songwriter, talking, I think that line really kind of was a little bit more for Billy. Will you ever write your masterpiece? And, you know, depending on your view of Billy, 
Some say he wrote his masterpiece with Piano Man and other songs, but some may say maybe he never wrote his masterpiece because he wrote some other good songs. So um, I think that's what I kind of took away from it to um, go along with what you were saying. One of my favorite tracks on the album is next, the joint track Prelude and Angry Young Man. I heard that first five or ten second um, piano part, and I kind of thought it was a more upbeat version of the song Piano Man. Um, I loved it. I, I loved the song. I grew up, uh, you know, getting really getting into, uh, eventually getting into a lot of, you know, heavier sort of music, but I still love my classics and hearing more of a, of an edge to, to an artist in Billy Joel who typically goes more of the soft rock, uh, style. I, I really, really enjoyed went on, I think slightly too long, but it's still a great song. Another inspiration I got from it was, um, the song, uh, party hard by Andrew WK for some yep. reason, for some reason, like some of his, some of his, uh, some of Billy's piano playing kind of threw me back to, to that song. Um, and I kind of also was thinking of, if, if I could envision a band like real big fish or less than Jake covering this song, because it has that very, like when ska, was the big thing in the nineties and all of those, the mighty, mighty Boston's and bands like that, that were popping up playing ska. I, 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 if, if, if this song was covered by one of those bands, I think it would fit in. Um, it would fit in so well with, with an artist like that, playing that in the modern day. No, I agree. But, you know, especially too, you know, when you look, hear some of the lyrics, like, uh, you know, always at home with his back to the wall and he's proud of his scars and the battles he's lost and he struggles and bleeds as he hangs on his cross, you know, um, and he likes to be known as an angry young man. I, I think you're right. I think if anybody were to cover a song from uh, that genre, I think it would be perfect. Um, you know, but Billy found a way to kind of keep it more of the time. Um, some people call actually think that the prelude in some ways is like his theme song. Like it's actually, you know, who he is as a pianist and who he is as a songwriter. Now, the angry young man, Billy was a rebel. So, you know, growing up, you know, he, his dad left him and his mom when he was a really, he never knew his dad, you know, so it was his mom raising him. But Billy, Billy, you know, was a rebel. He was a blue collar kid growing up. And um, so some of this, even though he never mentions his name, there's, you know, there's some validity to the, what some of the stuff that's being said in the song. So, but I do like how you took about how, whether it was Scott and you mentioned some of the bands, um, to me, you should almost pitch it to one of them and be like, hey, look, do you want to cover a song? This could be a great song to cover. So, but I, this to me is one of my, it's in my top three on this album. Uh, this New York State of Mind and um, Miami 2017, which I know we'll get into a little bit. The penultimate track here is I Loved These Days. A fine track. Um, I think the only note I, I wrote down as I was as I was listening to it is just, you know, one of the one of the you know few songs on this record that's really uh, just about reminiscing and kind of remembering the day, like the good old days. And I think you mentioned earlier um, the song Just the Way You Are. And I think I was trying to think while I was listening to this song, you know, I, I hear I heard the piano melody and it, and it all sounded familiar with me. And I think you mentioning Just the Way You Are, I think those tracks kind of are intertwined a little bit. And it's and, um, yeah, again, another another fine track. And, uh, you know, Billy Joel keeps keeps uh, putting the ball in play, so to speak, uh, with uh with this song. 
Right. I think for, um, you know, for this song, um, this, I put this along with James, you know, I put these two at the bottom when it come to, came to this album, Jake, you know, I did like the ending uh, lyrics where it says, you know, so before we end and then begin, we'll drink a toast to how it's been a few more hours to be complete, a few more nights in satin sheets, a few more times that I can say I've loved these days. It's like you said, to look back to yesteryears and, um, you know, and Billy writes a good amount of songs that go back to his younger days and write stuff on reflection. I don't think this is one of his better works, but certainly, you know, it was decent and in its own right. So we close with the track Miami 2017, one of my favorites on the album. When I heard the intro, the, almost like a little bit of uh, like early use of like some electronic use and uh, again, throwing it to modern times, a lot of the bands I listen to, they'll start off their songs with sort of these like either like electronic intros or or almost like they're playing a guitar and it's just like a heavily muted guitar before the song really kicks in and I kind of got vibes from that but completely different because um it just immediately went into what I wrote in my notes as a quote hard driving banger um and I and, and it's cool seeing seeing Billy Joel um end the album on such um an aggressive, an aggressive kind of note. Obviously, the song talking about um, kind of the apocalypse, talking about talking about the end, and and you know, I was I was reading this when I was doing my research, and and kind of referencing, you know, if if the world's gonna end, if New York's gonna go down, I'm gonna go back to New York because this is my home, and I wanna I wanna be in my home uh, as the world ends. And and yeah, that track, I thought it was a really really great track uh, to close on. And the outro was was beautiful. The last 20, 25 seconds, just him playing the piano, I thought was exceptional. And like I said, just a really, a really solid, really great way to close the album. People ask me, because my close friends know I adore Billy, where's this song rank? This is um, a top five song for me of all time. Um, just because I, I love the outro um, with just kind of like, you know, he slows down the pace and, you know, and he goes, you know, I've seen the lights go out on Broadway. That was so many years ago before we lived here in Florida, you know, and then when he kind of talks about, you know, kind of settling down of what's happened. And he's funny, he wrote that song back in the seventies and people say, well, why 2017? Because he imagined him being a grandfather as he is now, you know, telling his grandkids about what New York went through during the seventies. And it was a tough time for them in the seventies. And, um, you know, it was his take on science fiction, you know, and how, uh, in, in some ways, even though the music proclaims upbeat, it's kind of a sad song in a lot of ways, too. Um, and he also really brought this song back to significance after 9-11, um, you know, especially with, you know, you know, the two lines, I saw the Empire State laid low and I watched the mighty skyline fall. Those two lyrics kind of fit perfectly with uh, what had occurred on you know, 9-11 with the, you know, World Trade Center towers being knocked down. So, um, you know, but I think that song, if you were to ask me, if New Yorkers were to kind of in a weird way put a theme song outside of, you know, Frank Sinatra's New York, New York, if they were to list other songs that would be a theme song to New York, this song would make the list. Because when he actually performs at Madison Square Garden, he usually more times than that opens up with this song and it, and the place loses its mind. So um, I love it. It's great. Even though there's some sad undertones in it, um, you know, even, you know, with the, 
churches burning and, you know, uh, even throws a, a dig at Yankee Stadium, you know, and, you know, I've seen the, you know, uh, and he even talks about outside of New York, you know, the, you know, down, you know, the ships down in Norfolk, you know, talking about Norfolk, Virginia, you know, about, you know, them coming up from there. So, um, yeah, I love it. It's, it's, it's really a good song. It's actually it, my parents, my, it's my mom's favorite Billy Joel song too. So we kind of share that together. Right. So that was the Billy Joel album turnstiles overall for me. Um, I think it had its moments where I think it kind of dipped for me personally, but overall I think a great sound to me, there wasn't, a bad song. I mean, I think some songs had less of an impact than others. If I'm listing my favorites, um, I think you and I are on the same boat with a lot of these songs. Um, Say Goodbye to Hollywood, New York State of Mind, Angry Young Man, and Miami 2017 for me. Those are kind of like my top four uh, of the of the eight tracks on that album. Oh, you made two. I have, look, I have tickets as of now to go see him in October. I was supposed to see him in April. They moved the concert back to October. I'm hoping that by October we're allowed to walk into arenas at that point. And, um, you know, it's, uh, he's fun to see, you know what I look, and I know concerts nowadays, nowadays, you know, with the new, you know, it, artists and bands, all of them do a great job and all of them are exciting, but if you have a chance to go see whether it's Billy or go see some bands from, you know, that our parents, got a chance to um, grow up listening like all the concerts I've been to Jake you know I took my parents a couple years ago down in Philly we saw Paul McCartney Paul McCartney was phenomenal he was awesome and like that's what I mean like I think if you really appreciate the music of today all different genres go see someone of yesteryear that's still going whether it be an an artist like a Paul McCartney or a band um, you know whether it's you know even no matter it's rock even if it's country because that's because today nowadays they got some of their inspiration from those artists of yesteryear. So uh, I think that's the reason why I enjoyed some of the, you know, like Billy and some of these older folks so much is because of, I appreciate music of today, but I know without these guys and gals music today isn't as what it is. So when we get back to normal, I'll speak the sentiments loud, support live music, whether it's independent, yes. whether yes. it's independent music, whether it's, it's the big artist in big venues, go support, go support music because it's that very much like sports. I think you can agree can serve as that escape through the dark times to listen to an album or seeing a concert. Uh, music certainly does that for, uh, for everybody. So when we when we get back to a little bit of uh, normalcy in the world, uh, go go support artists, go to shows, and have fun while doing it. So uh, on that note, uh, Mike, before we head out, I'll give you the floor. Uh, anything to promote, plug, all that jazz? Uh, not at this point. I mean, Jake, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. You know, for us at the Iron Pigs, we pre- you know for anybody who are listeners in the Lehigh Valley, appreciate your support. Um, but if you want to get to know me a little bit more, um, I'm, I'm on Facebook, uh, I'm on Twitter at venting daily. I'm probably only active really on Twitter. Um, so if you want to send me a tweet, especially after you hear this podcast, uh, I'd love to answer more, talk to you a little bit more. Um, and also too, you can find me, uh, on Instagram. Uh, I think I'm at Mike Ventola. I think that's what it is. If not, you can find me. I'm on Instagram somewhere. So, but, uh, those are my individual plugs and I don't know about you, Jake, but I'm looking forward to not only just getting back to sports but just at some sort of level of normalcy. And I really hope that everybody out there, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, is healthy, safe, and please of clear and sound mind and that we're going to get through this together. 
I don't think there's anything else I can add to that. So I guess we'll just wrap things up here. Mike Ventola, thank you so much for the time. And thanks for coming on the Bangerhead podcast, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Jake. It was a pleasure talking to you and best of luck to you and everybody else out there. A huge thank you again to Mike Ventola for joining me on this week's installment of the Bangerhead podcast. Can't thank him enough, man. He had such an incredible story. It's cool to see what he, as as well as the rest of the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, are doing to help provide a source of entertainment for the fans during this really, really weird time we find ourselves in. So, huge kudos, huge, huge kudos. I can't talk. Huge kudos to uh, to Mike and the entire team over at the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. We hope to see them, as well as every major sports team in this in America, in the United States, Canada, around the world, uh, hitting the field very, very soon. On that note, thank you guys so much again for tuning in. Don't forget, anchor.fm slash BYHpod, and also check out the Facebook page. Search for Bang Your Head Podcast with Jake Zimmers on Facebook. Uh, If you want, give me a follow on Twitter at JMZ1994. And as always, we're going to round out this episode with the independent song of the week. And it's actually a preview for next week's episode. Going to be playing a jam from the band Sink In. I met these guys um, several years ago. In fact, I actually went to high school with their guitar player, Cabretti. Um, Spoiler alert, he is next week's guest right here on the Bangerhead Podcast. And really looking forward to talking about some great music and his experiences uh, through, you know, post-graduating high school and kind of moving on from there, going to college for a little bit and then doing the music thing. And so, you know, it's what he's been doing for the past several years. Super proud of him. Super stoked to have him on the show and can't wait for you guys to hear his conversation, hear our conversation. We're going to play for you now. The most recent single was released last summer, uh, right before Labor Day. And uh, it's a non-album single. They released their debut studio record in uh, late 2017 titled Ordinary People, Extraordinary Things. This was a non-album single. Still really cool to see this song performed live. So much energy when these guys are on stage, and I hope you all enjoy it. This is Sync In with Drive. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this week's installment of the Bang Your Head podcast. Stay safe, and we'll see you soon. I didn't feel alright Detached from the daylight Put on my headphones I'm fine, I'm fine I've been running for so long Always so headstrong Getting older with each song I wanna take it back tonight Do you wanna just drive? Don't wanna be someone Remember the first time, stress on my mind It's been an on the inside I wanted to run to you, but I'm fine, I'm fine I 
wanna do this right, fighting every night, anxiety in my life, but I'm holding on so tight. Do you wanna just drive? Don't wanna be someone. Looking so bright, and the future in our eyes. Please tell me there's still time. Do you wanna just drive? Don't wanna be someone. Drive.